0: at the football overview today 37 year old Pandev inspires north macedonia to end germany's undefeated run england win three out of three as mount silences his critics our euros predictions end of the show quiz plus our champions league quarterfinal preview that's your roundup this week at the football overview hello and welcome to the football overview today i'm joined by luke bateman Hello. Callum McCormack. Evening, Dil. And Johan Aslett.
1: Thanks for having me on, Dil.
0: So we've had a few suggestions in this week, guys. And thanks, guys, for sending in your suggestions for the upcoming episodes. So I'm just going to play a little suggestion that I had sent in for this week.
2: Dylan, if you can hear this, Trent is the best right back in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday better Maybe. Talk to me about it.
0: Oh. So that's how you sound
3: off here, <laughs> Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise you were such a big fan of Samedo Uh
2: he's, he's brilliant when uh when he's not playing football. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was considering uh, that debate, Semedo or Trent, but it just wasn't quite juicy enough. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but anyway, guys, your moments of the week. If we start with Luke. And my moment of the week was Belgium hitting Belarus for eight and with a load of their fringe players, essentially their B-side, really performing the likes of Trossard, Benteke and Pratt, all from the Premier League. And Yo's, your moment
0: of the week?
1: Okay, so my moment of the week is Harry Maguire's uh, winning goal against Poland. You know, it's such a monumental moment for England in this qualifying campaign. Uh, They really showed a lot of resilience and fortitude. And let's just see how far they go.
0: And finally, Carl, your moment of the week.
1: I get the
2: fortune of talking about Germany's collapse against North Macedonia, the 2-1 victory for Macedonia... Um, Germany's second defeat in World Cup qualifying campaign since 1985. Uh, Just an astonishing, astonishing result. Absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, it was a standout result, wasn't it, yesterday? That 2-1 defeat out of all to end that unbeaten run, North Macedonia. As Callum said there, second loss since 1985. It's their first loss in the World Cup qualifiers since 2001. And I'm not sure if you saw the first goal, guys, from North Macedonia. But Emre Chan, he was playing in centre-back in this match. And he's just not in line with the rest of the defenders at all, is he? He's standing a few yards back, just not in conjunction with the rest of the defenders whatsoever. And they were really ineffective in attack. Lack of movement in behind. Lack of rotation of movement. But, you know, you have to give huge credit to North Macedonia... They played in this 5-3-2 defensive shape, forced Germany wide, and they really struggled to break down that deep block.
3: So how concerned, Luke, will they be? Very, because the top two in the group now are Armenia and North Macedonia, I believe. So extremely concerned. Um, The Germans are not one to uh, ever have a knee-jerk reaction. But I think if Joachim Löw wasn't leaving after the Euros... Could, could he have been sacked? No, probably not. But it's the sort of result that can get you sacked. And if Germany were feeling in the mood, then he could have been sacked for that. As you said, it's their first World Cup qualifying loss since 2001. I think they've only lost three World Cup qualifiers ever. It was in Germany as well. It was absolutely staggering. And I didn't see it live. I watched the highlights. And Macedonia were absolutely full of heart and full of desire and, and, and had two big moments and took them. It, it was stunning, really.
0: Yeah, what I like about the way North Macedonia set up is they weren't just happy to defend. When they had possession of the ball, they looked to counter-attack quickly and really exploit those defensive weaknesses of Germany, with a group possessing France, Portugal and Hungary. Can you see Germany progressing from that group?
1: Well, one thing we can't do, says history, is not underestimate the Germans. But again, in terms of Germany's structure, on the assumption there was one, was just incredibly poor, very problematic. So much space left, obviously, between the defence and midfield. And when you have a midfield three of Gundogan, Kimmich, uh, Goretzka, players you don't really identify in any way as great defensive players. No legs, nobody to retrieve possession in quick succession. I think that really just played to Macedonia's advantage, really, playing that counter-attacking, relentless uh, football and, yeah, they just discovered a lot of space very easily in behind the midfield, and when that was taking place, the likes of Chan and Rudiger had to commit, occupy that space, try and negate some of that liberty they were discovering there, and that just left further the space then, obviously in behind the defence. And, again, that was just a continuous dynamic, obviously taking effect throughout. I thought, you know, offensively speaking, they got better as Werner was introduced, purely because of the movements that he, that he brings, uh, penetrating that space out wide, and, yeah, I thought they created better attacking developments there. Do I think they should be very concerned? Absolutely. We're very poor defensively, especially if they playing every Chan in defence. I mean, he wouldn't be with... If I was Joachim Lau now, I wouldn't put him within 100 yards of a football stadium based on that performance <laughs> last night. But uh, that's all I can say about that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, Callum, there was a huge grin there when Johan mentioned that Germany were better when Timo Werner came on the pitch. And I'm yeah. guessing that's something to do with that... You know shocking miss wasn't it that left footed shot just completely miskicked the ball didn't he
2: yeah, and I understand what you're saying. He did offer something different to what they had on the pitch. But that miss was just <laughs> inexcusable. It was ridiculous. Oh, it was it was been almost been. scripted. Uh, it, you know, in, in the season that Timo Werner's having, even when he gets away from the pressures of Chelsea, he goes to play for Germany against North Macedonia, he still misses a chance, which yeah. loses Germany the game.
3: It, it's it's beyond belief. Why did uh, he take it with his left? He took I, it to his uh, left didn't he? He sort of swung he, a left and it was he, clearly in favor of just a right-footed slot. And he's not even left-footed which is the most bizarre thing yeah. it, it makes it, no it, sense. He just he, he
2: just totally snatched at it like a, like a child. Uh, it just uh, no composure whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just laughing at it now thinking about it. That is why they lost to North Macedonia. I mean it was ju- <laughs> it wasn't just that obviously. Oh. But um but it it, it was it was Crazy. Uh, I mean, I I saw that clip when it was still one all, and I thought, oh my words! You know, Germany aren't going to beat North Macedonia. This is dreadful. What a, what a what an abysmal result! And then they went on to lose the game. Uh, it just you can't ex- sometimes you can't explain things like that. That you you can try and offer ex- an explanation as to what Werner was doing there. Only he knows. No, we we can only
3: guess. I do think, though, that North Macedonia, from what I've seen, were better than Germany were awful, though. I didn't feel like they utterly collapsed. I mean, the players they had on the pitch as well are all pretty much world class, apart from maybe Emre Chan. Yeah, and I'll give you that. And I, I believe
2: North Macedonia have never dropped out the top 80 in the world, which I know is still, you know, they're still pretty poor in the rankings, but... We're not talking about a Gibraltar, you know, an Estonia, you know, those kind of sides here. We are talking about a side that, you know, do it's sort of that low lower level, not the they just want to score level, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, it, but still, absolutely shocking for Germany, absolutely shocking, and in that group, they ought to be scared at the moment. At the moment, because. You know, the the current World Cup winners and the the current holders of the Euros, Portugal, which they look an even better side now than when they did five years ago. (laughs) Germany should should be scared.
0: To your teams now, guys, that you were looking out from last week. So if we start with Callum, you were looking at Italy. What did you make of them?
2: Yeah, they had some pretty decent results over the last week, but they were struggling yesterday, the same day as the Germany game against Armenia, still nil nil at half time. And I think that is going to be the theme of their games. They're going to struggle to score. You know, we they have such experience in defence and as we know in general Italy enjoy defending um and sitting deep. But going forward, that's where they're gonna struggle. Do I think they have enough they'd have to be bang on form. Um I'm definitely not ruling them out.
0: And Joze, you were looking out for Portugal, weren't you? What did you make of their performances?
1: The one thing that stood out for me almost immediately was really kind of the team selection, obviously, for Portugal. As we're seeing uh, the fixtures go ahead right now, I can't really help but wonder, I feel like the manager Santos really is just trying to find a way to kind of overly saturate the quality of players they have in midfield and attack, um, obviously with the high caliber players they have. And... I just think it really, to an extent, does kind of prevent them really from discovering a viable uh, game philosophy, to be honest. Um, again, obviously, they haven't had too many issues, obviously, as of right now because they've played some minor teams. But as they play against some of the bigger teams, more prominent teams, I just think they will struggle generally. But um, again, obviously, they've got the goals, they've got the victories, and who knows? It should be really interesting, but I still think there has to be some form of real evaluation from Santos's standpoint.
0: Yeah, something I noticed from Portugal was... They started against Serbia really well, didn't they? They got a 2-0 lead. However, as Johan was sort of edging towards then, um Santos, he's looking to get the most out of his attacking players. However, that's leaving them exposed defensively a little bit. Do you know what I mean? When you think about how they played at Euro 2016, it was very much, you know, defensive minded, you know, two banks of four, and then, you know, wait for the opposition to overcommit and then they look to counter. However, now Portugal are almost going the complete reverse. You know, looking to attack teams and then Serbia were finding some space on the counter and Mitrovic has been in fine form, hasn't he, for Serbia. He got a goal there as well against Portugal. So, Luke, what did you make of England's performances?
3: I was really intrigued, as I said last week, about how many they would score against San Marino. It was five. It should have been more. Uh, Jesse Lingard, I think, had five shots on target himself and didn't score once, but he did get mad in the match somehow. I think it's because he was the only player that survived 90 minutes, if I'm honest with you. I was a little bit disappointed still, though. Of course, it was followed up with a 2-0 win against Albania, and then a 2-1 win against Poland that Joran's already alluded to, which was hard fought and scraped through. I was a little bit disappointed in all three of the performances, if I'm being really honest. I'm not going to name-check too many players, because I think we're going to get on to it very soon. The job done, nine points out of nine. Um, and perhaps it's 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 arrogant of me to say I wanted more because many teams would kill to be in that position. Um, but we've learned a few things and we've learned mainly that England are extremely reliant still on the main man, Harry Kane, which is allowed. You know, he's our best player. He is our Ronaldo, our Lewandowski, our Gareth Bale. He is the main man, which is fine. And it was also interesting to see... The re-emergence, in a way of credit for Mason Mount, who has sort of gone up and down in terms of what people think about him, but has always actually maintained a very consistent level of performance. So overall, happy can't really complain about 9.09, but a little bit disappointed about the development of this squad as we go very, very close now to the euros.
0: So last week, we debated, didn't we, how we would set up if we were the England manager. I talked about potentially playing a back five because of I was worried about England's centre-backs and whether they could really win a Euros with Luke Shaw, Stones, Maguire and then potentially Trent as the right-back. Obviously, you guys went for the back four. And the way that Southgate set up in those three matches would suggest that England will set up with a back four. And more specifically, they'll set up in possession with a back four, the three centre-midfielders with Declan Rice slightly the deepest of the three. And then the two other centre midfielders, slightly in further forward positions. And then obviously you've got the front three, isn't it? Defensively then, it was more of a 4-2-3-1 with Mason Mount positioned as that attacking midfielder. However, he would sometimes drift alongside Phillips and Rice, who obviously played against Albania and Poland. He would drift back, allowing the wingers then to stay forward. Obviously that means that they have a greater counter-attacking threat then, doesn't it? However, playing in this setup, guys, would you stick with the same lineup that you picked last week, wasn't it? And focusing on those three centre midfielders and three forwards, who would you pick in those positions? Obviously, now having the knowledge of how Southgate looks like he's going to be playing towards the Euros, if we start with Callum.
2: I've got Henderson and Rice as the two midfielders. I've got Mount slightly ahead of them in, in still in the midfield three. And then from left to right, my front three is Grealish Kane and Sancho. Now, last week I had Grealish down the middle and I had Sterling on the left. As I mentioned last week, my opinion on this England side changes from almost on an hourly basis. Um, It asked me in an hour's time and Rashford probably gets in that side, but I just think my my opinion, as Luke was just alluding to, my opinion on Mount has changed um, quite drastically over the last two, maybe three weeks. I was never one to give him credit, even when he was playing extremely well under Lampard. I was one of those people who said, you know, energy can't win you games. You know, he looks great, he runs a lot, but actually, he's brought he his level of performance is so consistent. Um, and that's the kind of thing, in, especially in tournament play, um, that, that you need in your squad. Um, and that's why, for me, for the first game of that tournament, you want players you can rely on. He gets in that side for me.
0: If we just stick on those midfield three at the moment, guys, has everybody gone for Henderson, Rice and Mount? Is there any differences, guys? I have.
1: No, I've gone with that.
0: So everybody's gone with those three. So obviously last week, some people mentioned Grealish potentially playing as the number 10. Is it that need, isn't it, that Southgate's looking for in his attacking midfielder to drop in to those midfield three positions, which allows those three forwards? Is that what's changed your mind about Mount and why he's in your team?
2: For me, definitely. Um, you can't see Grealish coming back as often as you can Mount, if if at all, to be honest. Um, and that's why Grealish has found himself on the wing for Aston Villa and why he's made that position his own. And Mason Mount is just a bundle of energy. He's, he's superb in that respect. And he gives you a lot of quality going forward, maybe not as much as some of the other players that are in the squad, or that could be in the squad, I should say, but he more than makes up for that in, in discipline and facilitating the other players to really express themselves.
0: What about you, Luke? Is that a similar type of transition for you in terms of... Remind me again, who you went for as your number 10 last week?
3: I had Foden in there last week, but I also did kind of make it clear that it wasn't necessarily my starting lineup for the Croatia game, the opener at Euro 2020. It was more a sort of dream England side, that my best team. So I have actually also made the change, which is mount in for Foden. Same as Callum, really, and I think probably the same as Johan. He's just completely... Um, changed my mind in recent weeks. I've I've always rated him, actually. I have always thought his energy has been fantastic. His work rate's been great. But I think what's really made me sit up and take notice is how well he's performed under Tuchel. And I feel like he's improved. And if he's just playing out of his skin, maybe to impress the new man, that's fine as well. But he's really impressed me because when he's he's added a really high level of skill and quality in attack to that work rate, and it's working wonders right now. You know, Chelsea is still unbeaten under the new boss. England are, well, they've won every game in the, in, the, in this international break that we've just mentioned. So he gets in for me because his work rate, he's industrious, and he's slightly more uh, technically gifted than, than Henderson in forward areas. So, yeah, I've got Rice, Henderson, Mount as a three. I think that's pretty sturdy and reliable. And then up front, I haven't changed from what I said last week, so I've got Grealish, Kane, and Sterling. I understand that he actually hasn't had the best international break, Sterling, but I have always kept faith with him, and I do feel like Sancho and Rashford will still be exquisite additions off the bench to change a game. Just
0: before we go on to the three forwards and discuss those positions in detail, one thought I had about a midfield three for England, and I just would like to hear your thoughts on this, really. So, for me, I have actually picked the same midfield three as you guys, going into Croatia. However, something I'd like Southgate just to try out is to possibly play Henderson as the deepest defensive midfielder because, obviously, he's the most comfortable, isn't he? He's the most natural player. It's just the fact that there's no other box-to-box England midfielder, is there, which allows Henderson then to come deep. So a thought I had was potentially playing Henderson as your deepest, Mount as the box-to-box, and then what about Jesse Lingard as another box-to-box? He did something very similar at the 2018 World Cup. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that could potentially be worth trying out for Southgate because I do have some issues around Declan Rice in terms of if he's playing against a team who's really going to press him high up the pitch I don't think he's got the best ability in terms of receiving the ball on the half term for me as well he passes the ball sideways too often whereas Henderson he's absolutely brilliant in that defensive midfield position probably in the best three in the world isn't he what's your thoughts on that do you think
3: Lingard could potentially play a box-to-box if you said it to me a month ago, maybe two months ago, I would have called you crazy. <laughs> yeah. But of course, this is how quickly football works. And I'm not sniffing at it at all, really. I mean, he wasn't fantastic at World Cup 2018. I, I do kind of think that Rice probably should be in there because I think there will be more teams that we will struggle to break down at Euros than there will be teams that press us high, unless I'm going to be massively surprised. So I do think he probably does earn a place there. But of course, I'll be up for Lingard in there. And I think there will be games when that will be needed. Um, And he might call on Lingard before he calls on Foden, simply because Lingard's done it for him before and he trusts him. So I think that's not a terrible suggestion at all.
0: Yeah, because when you think of the other attacking midfielders, Foden, Madison, I don't really think they've got that engine, have they, to play in one of those midfield three positions. And that's why I've mentioned Lingard. And obviously, he performed a very similar role very, very well at the 2018 World Cup. Yo, so who have you gone for as your three forward players?
1: All right, so there's one area of change that I've made uh, from the original team from last week. I've actually gone for Sterling instead of Sancho, and it was heavily because I was really impressed with how good he played, obviously, last game against Poland. You know, that whole dynamic of Mount, Sterling and Chua really taking effect, over the movement and everything else. So that is the one area of change that I've gone from the previous week. Um, I'm pretty sure. Did I go Mount or Grealish? Actually, they were saying that too, actually. I went uh, Grealish for that centre midfield also. So I will change him for Mount based on what we've seen also. You know, he's been absolutely sublime. You know, his ability, his passing accuracy, his ability to feed into the likes of Kane and behind. I think think much of their attacking development does stem from him. And coming into the tournament, he's going to be playing such an integral part. So I think it will be criminal not to play Mason Mount with the current system in
0: place. Yeah, so you've gone for a front three there, Yose, of Sterling, Rashford and Kane. And so you're the one person who hasn't gone for Grealish. And I would actually stick with the front three I went with last week. Obviously, I played with a slightly different formation, didn't I? But I would still stick with Foden, Kane, and then you're looking at Sancho against the teams who sit deep. And then Rashford, then, if you're looking to really exploit um, an opposition's weakness if they leave space in behind on the counter. Just looking at Grealish for one second, guys, he's created the most chances out of any other player, out of these, you know, forward players. However, the reason I wouldn't have him in is because if you think about it, with Kane, he likes to drop deep, doesn't he? And then, you know, Grealish, he wants to play on the left. If you think about those runs in behind from either a Sterling, a Rashford or a Sancho, they all like to make those runs from the left, don't they? In between the opposition's right-back and centre-back. So obviously if you play Grealish, are you not taking that huge strength that England would have away? Do you know what I mean? Because if you're playing Rashford or Sterling on the right, they're cutting in on their left foot. And we've seen Rashford at Manu nowhere near as effective on the right. And that's why I've gone for the more creative player on the right in Foden so that I can continue to have your Sancho's, your Rasfords on that left-hand side? What do you think about that?
2: I think it's a good point you raise. Um, you, I think whichever player you do select, you are going to lose something else from from the side. Um, because of the, the variety of attacking players um, England has available to play on those wings. Um, f- for me... Grealish, like you said, he he's created so many opportunities. He when he gets into the box, defenders don't want to touch him. He's he's so elusive. He he's so good at keeping the ball close to him. Um, and I I suppose a similar attribute could be given to Sterling because especially when he's running at pace, um, it it is really one or the other, isn't it? You you could you give merit to both. Um, my feeling is, and it's something Luke said earlier, is that I get the feeling a lot of sides in this tournament will be playing with a deeper defence. Not all, of, of course, but most. Um, and in those circumstances, I don't see Harry Kane dropping as deep as often as he does for Spurs. In which case, I think Grealish is, um qualities on the pitch come alive more so than, say, Rashford or a Sterling. Not to say that they'd be ineffective at all, but I just think I would prefer Grealish on that on that left wing. Um, but that's my thoughts.
0: What do you think, Joze? Do you think it takes away from Rashford, Sterling's game, or Sancho playing them on the right? As I mentioned, obviously, with Grealish on the left, you've forced them to having to play these guys on the right, and then they're not really cutting in on their stronger foot, are they?
1: Well, literally, as you explained then, that is why I would be hesitant to play Grealish simply because of that. I think you are compromising on their game and obviously with their ability and what they bring to the team. I'm I'm just not sure if I'd be as confident with you making that decision personally. The the, the Coming back
2: to the, the fact that because you're not playing Grealish, essentially you're playing Foden instead because you're only swapping the one player onto the other wing um against i can't remember which game it was now it was either albania or poland i watched um phil foden for some 20 minutes um and it was exactly what i mentioned on the podcast last week he he what makes him such a great player to watch uh, from a fan's point of view is also sometimes the the exact reason why he can be a little bit frustrating is yeah. he's so eager to to do something to make something happen that he doesn't play that that calm ball sometimes that that possession keeping ball when there's nothing on you know there's a pass that you shouldn't make even though that player is making a run you know it's just not on he will still make that that pass and that that is my only sort of worry about Foden um when I watch him in an England shirt because you know, he's not playing in Man City who get the ball back within, you know, 12 seconds and, and you know, they're on you again. That is my only sort of fear when uh, with playing Foden in an England shirt at the moment.
0: Yes, yeah, some really interesting points there. And as you say, there's hardly anything between the calibre of attacking player we're talking about for England. If you were to think back just even in 2018, the options they have now in comparison to then, there's just no comparison and... You know, people say that, oh, you know, I'm sort of glad I'm not Gareth Southgate. Surely this is a brilliant position for the England manager to have so many options and also so many players who can come off the bench to change a game, isn't it? Going into the deeper rounds of the uh, Euros. So it'll be really interesting to see how Southgate utilises the front three and the midfield three and how he goes on in the Euros to play those guys. Just before we go on to your Euros predictions, I'm just going to round up quickly some of the other international matches that we haven't discussed. So France, they started their three games with a 1-0 draw against Ukraine. They started the game pretty well. Brilliant strike from Griezmann, but Ukraine came back late in the game. And then that was followed by a 2-0 win against Kazakhstan and a 1-0 win against Bosnia, wasn't it? Belgium, they had a 3-1 win against Wales, that was followed by a one 0 draw against Czech Republic. And then Luke's moment of the week, that 8-0 win against Belarus, playing their subs as well. Brilliant performance from those guys. Spain, one 0 draw against Greece, 2-1 win against Georgia, that was followed up by a 3-1 win against Kosovo. And then finally, just some other results to pick out. Luxembourg beat Ireland 1-0. What a shocking result that is for the Irish. And brilliant performance from Wales. I say brilliant performance. It wasn't really, was it, guys? But they scraped a 1-0 win against Czech Republic, which puts them in a brilliant position going on to the next round of games in September. So now to your Euros predictions. And again, just a little bit different to our normal top five. These five positions are split into five categories. So in terms of these predictions, we've got your Dark Horses, your Euro 2021 winners, your top goalscorer player of the tournament and then finally your player to watch. So this could be a young talent or a player who could unexpectedly stand out. So if you start with your Dark Horses, Joze, who did you go for?
1: Okay, so my Dark Horses, I've gone Turkey. I think they've exceeded pretty much everyone's expectations. I don't think anyone would have believed they have been performing to the way they are as of right now. Uh, they beat Netherlands 4-2 with a brilliant performance and, well, most noticeably, Yilmaz. I mean, who would have thought he would be relevant now, to be honest with you? He's been scoring many goals in key games, and they've been delivering. They're adaptable to other opponents, and they're the only real team that I can think of that really have the potential to emerge as a potential, I wouldn't say contender, but at least competing for those quarterfinals, semi final uh, positions. So I would probably go Turkey.
0: Kyle, your dark horses, who have you gone for?
1: So
2: my dark horses, is uh, I've mentioned them a couple of times on this podcast is Italy. Um I thought about a couple of others North Macedonia came to mind but I uh, I sure. thought I'd stick with Italy just because I've said them before a bit of bias there I guess. I I think with Mancini in charge with the cal- with the experience they have in defense Um, And if their players hit form at the right time, because you forget there's still a long time until that tournament is played in the world of football. All of those players could be in some serious form by the time we get to that stage. So as my potential dark horses, I'm I'm sticking with Italy.
0: Yeah, because I was sort of debating between Turkey, Italy, but I actually ended up with Sweden. And, you know, I look at the results they've had recently. They didn't concede a goal in their European qualifiers recently. You've got the likes of Forsberg, who's been playing really well at Leipzig. Kulażewski at Juventus, really good wide right player. You've got the likes of Izak Ibrahimovic potentially as their front two. And they've got a really good baseline at their defence. You know, the likes of Lindelof, really good experience as well. So I just think they could potentially do something at the Euros. Finally, Luke, who did you go for?
3: I also went for Italy as my dark horse, purely for the reason that they're such a massive uh, footballing nation, but they're the only ones that we're really not talking about and I think that is the definition of a dark horse. I know we've mentioned them today, but really that's because of dark horse status. If you look at Belgium Portugal uh you know England, France, Germany, etc. They've all had a mention, regardless of whether we think they've got enough to go on and win the thing. But I've also gone for Italy because they're very, very, very solid defensively, um, as you'd expect from an Italian side, as you'd expect from a Mancini side. They've just won their last three, haven't they, in the international break 2-0. They're clearly very, very well set up. They might not be as dynamic tactically as they were with Conte uh, when they did ever so well in the last World Cup or the Euros before or whatever it was when Conte was in charge. But I do think they have a chance. And if they can, you know, get out the group with, with, with maybe a draw and two 1-0 wins or something, and they can start to flourish and hit form at the right time, as Callum said, there's a while to go. I, I really think that they could do something. And no one really knows what Dark Horse means. It doesn't necessarily mean that they could be a, um, a surprise winner. But I do think that they could potentially get to the semi-finals just by being very solid, very hard to beat. And just before we go into your players, guys,
0: because I think... You know, your winners and dark horses will sort of lead to those players, isn't it? And the players you'll go for in those other categories. But now on to your winners. Who do you predict to win the Euros? If we start with yours.
1: Okay, so originally I was actually going to go for England. But I think, you know, knowing a lot more now about their defensive flaws, I think, at least in my opinion, the most probable team to win has to be France because of their reliability, because of how great they are defensively, not just attackingly. And I just think, you know, with that dynamic up top, Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele potentially, I just think they're going to be absolutely rampant, to be honest with you. So a team who I just think has the greatest chance has to be France for me.
3: Do we not fall into this curse every single time, though? Because isn't the current winner of every tournament always a catastrophic nightmare the following tournament? I mean, I don't think it's even a joke. I don't think it's even a curse. Yeah, but who else competes? I think the last... Well, who else competes? So who did you go for, then? I've gone for Portugal. And of course, I thought about France. But I have just purely been swung by the fact that every other winner, probably at least the last five, it's been a catastrophic fall from grace every single time they've entered the next tournament. Um, Look at Germany going out to South Korea in the group stages of the World Cup last year. Before that, Spain absolutely capitulated against Louis van Gaal's Netherlands. So if you look at that as a curse, I just think that France can't win it. It's purely on superstition. I don't know if they have it in their locker with the same players, essentially, because it is. There isn't that much new blood. They are kind of the same team with the same manager. Mm. The, 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 The one
2: other thing I'd add to that as well, which we've already mentioned in the podcast, is that France portugal and germany are all in the same group put all three of them as potential candidates to win even with the poor form of germany at the moment at the moment well, i say poor form it's one game that they've lost but it was a catastrophic loss so one of those are gonna uh, are gonna exit the group stages and it's gonna be a shock whoever it is and it could well be france so i'm not I, i've actually put france as my team to win the tournament because i i'm with joan on this i think their side is <laughs> so strong um I, i've already mentioned how big of a fan i am of kante with the attacking quality that they have around him as long as he's fit i i personally don't see anyone else winning the tournament but you are right there there is a potential for, for France could go out in the group stages as easily as they could win
3: the tournament if you look do both of you trust the goalie and the center backs not
2: the goalie but hopefully the ball to Well, look, I was just going to say this
3: one thing, because we all know that
1: Portugal can score a lot of goals, but obviously they are so flawed defensively, which I think everyone can kind of have a consensus on. So given the scenario that they progress to the quarterfinals or semifinals, which is a big prospect, do you think they would be able to contain, for example, the likes of Harry Kane, Mbappe, Griezmann, knowing how dysfunctional they are?
0: All I'll say to that is weren't Portugal flawed at the last Euros? They conceded three goals to Hungary. You know, they didn't even win a game, did they, in the group stage? However, when it came to the knockout rounds, Portugal, as I mentioned earlier, with those two banks of four hitting teams on the counter, they were the team, weren't they? They went on to win the tournament. And I actually see something quite similar happening at this Euros, where in the group stage, they don't look all that good, However, when it comes to those key knockout games, they'll end up playing Ruben, Diaz and Pepe as two centre-backs, sit deep and then look to hit teams on the counter-attack with the likes of Ronaldo, Jota, Bernardo Silva. That's something that I can potentially see happening in the Euros and that's why I've gone for Portugal as the winners. But as you say, England, France, Portugal, the margin is quite small, isn't it? But we've mentioned England's defensive flaws.
2: It's quite interesting how none of us have gone for Belgium, that None of us think that they have enough to win the tournament. Is that possibly because of Hazard's drop-off in form, or because of their defence? I'm interested to hear your views. Why you didn't go to Bel- go for Belgium?
3: That makes them dark horses by definition, doesn't it? Mm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Sorry, you're yeah, right.
1: you Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, in theory they have obviously one of the best teams, you know, bar none. But I just think they just haven't been coached. There doesn't really seem to be much of a, you know, a philosophy taking effect in the game. And I think purely on that reason, I, I'd rule them out completely. As we saw against Wales, that was a poor squad, speaking from the standpoint of Wales. Um, and they didn't really, I think it was only really the second half that they were actually started to create a lot more chances. So purely because of that and just the lack of sense of direction, I would just have to rule them out completely almost, to be honest.
3: Do you really not rate Roberto Martinez at all? Because in my opinion, I, I think he's one of the better managers in international football. But, I mean, I don't yeah. know how much you rate Deschamps or Santos as coaches. I don't know that much about them. I, I, I don't think Deschamps did that well at Marseille He was before. I think Martinez is one of, the, one of the better coaches in world football, to be honest with you, on the international scene.
1: Well, that's where it's, where it's actually pretty ironic, because I actually agree with that assessment to be honest with you but based on what I saw in that Welsh game that was a poor Welsh team let's all be honest with you that was a team that did not deliver at least to my estimates and for me there was much opportunity to really accumulate a lot more goals and they failed and again I still think they most probably will get to the the later rounds whether it's a large quarterfinals even but winning the tournament is a completely different question and I just think the likes of France with their
3: formidable attack I just think it to be too great personally but they they were knocked out in the euros weren't they by france wasn't it in the semi finals i think it was in the world cup nil. yeah france
0: they were knocked out in the, too, in the world it? cup in, sorry, the sem- in the world cup yeah.
3: had they've got through that i think we agree that they would have won the yeah. tournament right so they were pretty close because mm-hmm. i think they would have beaten croatia i mean they they were, they were they were pretty close last time so i think it's a good point that none of us have have chosen them and maybe that means we're underestimating them well, I'd
0: say against Belgium, Callum mentioned Hazard, that he's likely not to be available for the tournament. Also, if you think about their centre-backs, you know, Vertonghen, Aldeviro, they're not the same defenders, are they, from three years ago? They're all aged, and I don't think they've got the same mobility in the midfield. I think Witzel's getting on as well. They're playing Dendonka quite often from Wolves. He hasn't got great mobility either in that midfield, so that was what led to me not going for. Belgium. And you touched on the other managers there, Deschamps, Santos. I would agree that Martinez is the better of those managers. I'd also say Southgate is in that better calibre of those managers. And let's be honest, if we rated Deschamps with the likes of Angolo, Kante, Rabio, Pogba in that midfield, we mentioned their forward players last week, or so I tried to remember those forwards last week, wasn't it? But we went for you know Mbappe, Dembele, Griezmann, you know. Just endless the options at France. The back four, Pembe, Varane, Pavar, Teo Hernandez. That is the best squad in the Euros, bar none. Let's be honest, we ought to be all saying now France are our favourites. But because of Duchamp's deficiencies, I think that's probably why me and Luke are going for Portugal.
1: Well, I was just going to say, because you keep speaking about his deficiencies, can you actually elaborate upon that? Because to be honest, the way they're actually playing, I would, would have thought at least would befit the players that they actually have in this starting team. So what do you so mean when by say, that exactly? When you say yes, his... So when I
0: say Deschamps is flawed, I say that it always takes Champ until a tournament to know how he's going to play. Any good coach, mm-hmm. any coach worth his paycheck knows exactly how he's going to play in the run up to the tournament. And he's getting those players in a system. Basically, when you go into the tournament, you know how that team's going to play. So we know now how England mm-hmm. are going to play. We know how Belgium are going to play with the back five and then potentially with the front three of Mertens, Lukaku and De Bruyne. We don't have a clue when it comes to France. We don't really know when it comes to Portugal. However, with Portugal, I just think the manager now, he's trying to fit in all these attacking players. But when it comes down to those key games in the Euros, he'll go back to what he knows, as he did in the Euros. And I think that'll just be enough to take him across the line with the likes of Diaz and Pepe, who are brilliant in a deep line. And then, as I said, with the counter-attacking threat of Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva and
3: Jota, among others. Dylan, i us educated if this is wrong, but in De Chomps' defence, are we not going to get 4-3-3, Kante in the middle of the three, two athletic players beside him, and then up front, probably Giroud, dovetailing with two quick players either side of that? Are we not going to get that? Because I feel like their identity has been fairly consistent over the years, has it not? So if you
0: watch France in the last three qualifiers, for example, they've set up a different way in every single game. So against Ukraine, they played a 4-2-3-1 at the start of the game. Then towards the end of the game, then they ended up with a front three of Mbappe, Dembele and Griezmann. You're thinking, wow, that can really go on and kick on. They ended up conceding a goal to Ukraine late in that game. However, in the Kazakhstan game, they went on to use that front three again with Dembele, Griezmann and Mbappe. But then... Just something was missing, and the thing that was lacking was basically what Deschamps was getting Usman Dembele to do was basically drop in as like the right-sided midfielder. If you think of how Mourinho used to play with Tottenham, it was the job of the wide midfielders, Dembele and Lamar, who played. It was their job to drop in as almost a full-back when they came in deep in their deep line, almost creating a back five. And then, obviously, he realised Dembele Dembele's not very effective at doing this. So then the next game, then, he plays Kingsley Coman in that right midfield position. Uh, Thomas Lamar on the left. And then he played a top two, then, of Griezmann and Mbappe against Bosnia. So as you can see, he's changing the team every game. He's changing the centre-backs. N'Golo Conte played the first game. He never played in the next two games, starting. So this is what I'm saying. It's just constant change. He's constant trying to fit these guys in. And surely that's... It's just not sustainable for me to Champs at France and they need to change him. I know he won a World Cup, but I really don't rate to Champs. And let's be honest, almost any manager in the world would have won either the Euros or the World Cup with that French squad. And you're right, they could potentially go on and win this Euros. But I just don't see them winning two tournaments in a row with that manager playing that style of play, which isn't really non-existent, as I said, and we're not really sure how they want to play. But now, guys, to your top goalscorer first and then your player to watch. We'll leave the player of the tournament just for a bit. So those two players in those two categories, top goalscorer and player to watch. If we start with you.
1: OK, so for my top goalscorer, I've gone with Harry Kane because I just think the system in place right now really just, I think, as the tournament goes ahead, we will just give him the opportunity. Um, he'll be lavish with many goalscoring opportunities. And obviously, being the prolific striker that he is, you know, I can't imagine that he won't take those chances. So purely from that standpoint, I've gone with Harry Kane.
0: So top goal scorer Harry Kane, who have you gone for player to watch?
1: So player to watch was a tough one. There were a few contenders for that, but I actually went with Yilmaz because on my assessment, uh, speaking about my dark horses, I went for Turkey because of their great structure, because they're adaptable to the opposition. And again, he's been you know, scoring a lot of goals. And I think that you know Yilmaz will surprise people and it's just so interesting because he was the most you know craved strikers in Europe you go back maybe 10 years ago and it's just been made somewhat redundant recently but he's been absolutely sublime for Turkey recently so I think he really does has has the uh, potential to really deliver a lot in this tournament especially with some of the teams not performing uh, as good as they usually could so I'm going to go with Yilmaz for my player to watch
0: Yeah, we mentioned Yilmaz a little bit last week, didn't we? And that hat-trick against the Netherlands. We've mentioned him about how well he's played for Lille and how Lille are joint-top with PSG, aren't they, in Ligue 1? So I think that's a great shout for a player to watch. And I've actually gone Yilmaz as well, for a lot of the reasons that you've said there. I was debating Mason Mount, potentially Barella from Italy, but I just see Yilmaz just scoring some key goals in the first round of the Euros, And then potentially going on to the knockout round. I think because of their deficiencies defensively, that's what led me to go in Sweden instead of Turkey for my dark horses. But I still see Yilmaz as a player you need to be keeping an eye out for the Euros. And then top goalscorer, I've gone for Romelu Lukaku. And the reason I've gone for Lukaku is because of how bad their group is in the Euros. There's just no other good team there. You know, we mentioned earlier France's group with Germany and Portugal. England have got a better group with Croatia-Scotland. So I just think Lukaku is going to get so many goals in the first round of the Euros. Even if he doesn't score that many further on in the tournament, I think he'll just go away with the golden boot. Who have you gone for, Luke?
3: Luke? I went for exactly the same top goal scorer. I went for Romelu Lukaku. I know we've got a lot of our Belgian chat out the way now, but I think there's an opportunity for him to score a bag full of goals, uh, especially in the group stages. Belgium, whatever they do in the tournament, however bad they might be defensively, they've got the world-class front line, or sort of front five that can rotate in and around, and that will create goals. It will create goal scoring chances. So I think he will probably end up Even if, as you say, he doesn't score many in the latter stages, I think he'll end up with a golden boot. Uh, And for my player to watch, really, really hard this, and I've just realised we haven't even spoken about this nation, Spain. I have gone for Ferran Torres, who I haven't been blown away with at all in the... uh, in his first season at Manchester City. But I think we all know that there's a good player in there. He will eventually probably come very, very good under Pep Guardiola's tutorship. And so I've gone for him because every single time I seem to look at a Spain result, he's contributed in a massive way. Uh, Not just scoring goals. He seems to be assisting. He's very, very important to Luis Enrique's plans. And I just think that he could be a player to watch. You've asked for a player to watch, not necessarily one that's going to blossom into the best player at the whole tournament. Um, But I think he could quietly be uh, a really, really key player for Spain, who, as I said, we haven't mentioned. We don't know how they're going to do.
0: We mentioned Germany earlier, didn't we, with North Macedonia and how that was a one-off game. Well, they actually lost 6-0 to Spain, didn't they? And Ferran Torres scored a hat-trick in that match. And as you mentioned, most times you watch the Spain games or just keep an eye on him, Ferran Torres is just key to Spain. Fantastic right-footed strike in their last game. And he's looking really good for Spain. And you wonder... How he doesn't get more game time, isn't it, for Manchester City? And finally, cow, your two players in those two categories.
2: So my top goal scorer, I've gone for Harry Kane. Um, I see England going quite far in the tournament. Could be to the final, could win the whole thing. Um, so I think he will be their main goalscorer. He'll without a doubt be England's top goalscorer. And I see him... You know, he takes all the penalties. I just see him being the top goal scorer of the tournament. I know we said about their group with Scotland, Croatia and the Czech Republic, I believe. I think he will get enough goals in those games to then justify the, his, that throughout the tournament, then he'll get more goals because he'll go on further than more some of the other players that we mentioned um, and probably become the top goal scorer. Um, my player to watch we mentioned him on the podcast last week um he's been linked with moves away from his current club he's in a faltering dutch side it's the um he's a player who's played really well in the league this season hence all this talk about him joining um barcelona um do i think he's going to be the outstanding player of the tournament no do I think that he is going to be one of the most exciting players of the tournament? Do things sort of I, I'm putting him in that bracket of when Payet had that unbelievable 18 months, and I'm thinking Depay could quite easily go to this tournament and just do things that that increase his transfer fee by almost double, and and I think that's why. I always think players who are linked with moves going into big tournaments like this they quite often either falter and do absolutely nothing or they overperform and overachieve and i'm i think the pie is going to overperform and overachieve and do some spectacular things in this tournament
0: yeah and touching on holland there you mentioned memphis to pie he was outstanding in the 7-0 win though it was against joe Brota, of course and he plays a similar role for Holland as he does for Leon, playing as the false nine, dropping deep. And then he's got those wingers then who sort of invert inside, and that creates the space then for Depay to drop. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting and good shout there from for Depay. And finally, guys, your player of the tournament.
3: If we start with... Go on, we'll go with Luke. Right, I don't know if there's any crossover here. Because I've gone for Portugal as the winners... I feel like maybe it should be someone that is going to get to the final or is going to win it. And I'm going to go for a player that seems to do just whatever hold he has over UEFA, over the British media, he can't stop winning player of the month awards, um, player of the season awards. And he's a man that can change games, even if Ronaldo is in his team, I believe. So I'm going to go for Bruno Fernandes. Um, doesn't mean I think he is the best player ever uh, that's going to be possibly playing at Euro 2020 but I do think he's got all the capabilities with big, important goals and his personality to be player of the tournament. Interesting shout there. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, he's been brilliant, hasn't
0: he, for Manchester United. However, for Portugal, when I've seen them, he's not... The same player for Man U. I think at Man U, he's got more licence, hasn't he, to play alongside the striker and drift in those positions he wants to. He doesn't seem to be given so much licence at Portugal. However, we mentioned earlier, didn't we, that when it comes to those knockout round games, I would not be surprised to see Ronaldo alongside Bruno, potentially, as those front two. So who have you gone for, Cal?
2: I've gone for French players. I believe France will win the tournament and I think this player is going to be instrumental in them winning the tournament quite a boring pick but he's outstanding every week is N'Golo Kante as I mentioned he's one of my favorite players to watch especially when he's in great form he's playing unbelievably well for Tuchel at the moment and I think if France go on to win the tournament it'll be largely down to him and the, the abilities he possesses so that's my pick.
0: And yes, did you go for player of the tournament?
1: Well, for this one I was contested between Harry Kane and Mbappe. But going on the belief that I think France are going to win, I've gone for Mbappe because purely because I think they are going to progress very far and you know, I think he's going to really get some crucial goals obviously as they progress to the final and most probably will score in the final going on what I think will take place. So I think just because you know, also the fact he could have split a lot of space and international teams are not very well structured. So I just think generally I think he will most probably be the stand up player because of the key goals he'll get in those big games.
0: All these weeks, Yos, you've knocked Mbappe say that he can't <laughs> yeah. play against teams that drop yeah. deep. We've all agreed that yeah. A lot of these international teams like to drop yeah. deep. Did you but listen still to gone, gone I for said. Mbappe as playing the tournament? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you obviously didn't hear me very well. Well because teams well, you know, international teams are not very well structured. There's a lot of space to exploit. I just think it's really going to befit the way he plays and he's going to get a lot of opportunities. And again, as I said, I think they are going to get... They will probably win. He's going to get a lot of crucial goals. So I've gone for him.
0: I, I really disagree.
2: I now think that Mbappe might not even get out the group stages with a goal and France might not get what? out the group stages. What makes you say just, that? That could happen. Just, just, that what makes you happen. say that? Just because you said that he'd be player of the tournament <laughs> after after knocking him for several weeks. Uh, just... I just, uh, I'm, I I'd put my money on him, No zero goals, France getting knocked out of the group stages now. And really? all my predictions also being incorrect
0: as a result. The player I'm really surprised you haven't gone for, guys, is Griezmann. And, you know, you've mentioned N'Golo Kante, you've mentioned Mbappe there. Griezmann's been instrumental in everything France has done. He was player of the tournament at the last tournament. And, you know, I've sort of been tossing and turning between Griezmann. Obviously, I've mentioned, you know, Portugal going on to win. And I'm still not really 100% sure now, but I'm going to go for Ruben Diaz. And I think he's been absolutely brilliant for Manchester City this season. And as I mentioned, if Portugal do go on to win the Euros, I think that centre-back partnership of Pepe and Diaz will have to be absolutely superb. And I think they will be superb if they play that deep-line defence and look to counter with the likes of Bruno and Ronaldo, as you have mentioned. We'll move on now, guys, to a bit about Harry Kane. And this week, Harry Kane said he's fully focused on doing his job on the pitch from now until end of the season, and then you'll see where he goes from there. Roy Keane said, I think he has to move on to win the big prizes. He's not going to do it at Tottenham. But despite Kane's comments not committing his future to Tottenham and Roy Keane saying he has to leave to win the big trophies, we've mentioned it a few times on the show, haven't we, that it's going to take a huge offer to prize Kane away from Tottenham. So do you see Kane staying at Tottenham? Do you think a team is going to commit potentially £150 million to prize, Kane?
1: Personally, again, I think he does want to leave. I do think he has a desire purely because he's good enough. I think he's at an age now of 27, going to be 28 come the summer. He's at an age now where he really has to start, you know, having a bit of legacy, cementing that legacy. And he's never going to have it at Tottenham. Uh, I think the issue in regards to the transfer is the valuation Tottenham have for him. I don't personally believe, given the circumstances, they're going to take any less than £150 million for him. And the teams, obviously speculation has it that most teams obviously are prioritising other players, whether it be Mbappe, whether it be Haaland, they're a lot younger. So I just think purely because no one is going to be willing to pay £150 million for a come 28-year-old in the summer... I just think that he most probably won't leave simply
0: because of that. Cal, Luke, do, we, do either of one of you think that Kane will leave this summer?
3: No, I don't. For, for similar reasons, I think in his heart of hearts, he would quite like to go now, but he's far too good to be able to go for anything less than 150 million. And I think he hasn't even let it be known, maybe even to his wife, that he would actually quite like to move on. Because I think he is kidding himself, knowing that the reality is he's probably going to have to stay. And so he is sort of kidding himself that he is going to be this one club man who is maybe never going to move elsewhere, but he will still hold the hope that throughout the rest of his career he's going to win a couple of trophies at Spurs, with Mourinho, with the the current crop of players that they've got. You know, Some of them are, are very good still. So I think that he is actually tricking himself that he's comfortable with staying. But in his heart of hearts, if he could leave and get out for free without any hassle, without any hate, unlike Van Persie when he left Arsenal, then I think he would. But I don't think he's prepared to jeopardise the love that he has and the fans that love him at that club to force a move elsewhere in case that were to backfire as well. So I think he will stay because he has to.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting, won't it, to see where Harry Kane does end up next season. Also, Whoever signs Harland, say if Manchester City were to sign Harland, I think that decreases the chance of Kane leaving significantly. If Harland then ends up, at, you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona, you could potentially see Kane then going to Manchester City because all they need, isn't it, is one player, whereas obviously your Manchester Uniteds they need a few players in different positions. We've mentioned Harry Kane, haven't we? A Premier League top goal scoring great. And to another one now, and Sergio Aguero, he's recently been announced, hasn't it? That he will be leaving Manchester City in the summer. So to our quiz now, and there are nine other non-English players who have scored over 100 Premier League goals. Who are these players? You have 30 seconds to list them. If we start that now. Everybody's quiet and concentrating this
3: week. Is Is it Premier League goals? 100 Premier League goals?
0: Yeah, Premier League goals. Oh my god.
2: I know. This is so annoying. Did you say non-English?
0: Non-English. Yeah. Okay, so five, four, three, two, one. Oh no. Hands down guys.
2: (laughs) I may may only have one.
0: (laughs) Okay, we'll start with Cal. Who have you gone for?
2: <laughs> Henri, of course.
0: Yeah,
2: I've gone for Yaya Toure.
0: No, no, surely no. not. No, you're
2: way. in no, he hasn't. I've done your Premier League goals. <laughs> honestly, I've done so badly at this. I think Andre may be the only one I've got. Um, Dwight York.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good shout. Oh. Okay.
2: Um, I've gone. I've gone for Drogba. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he did sneak in there. Good. Um, De Canio.
0: Nope.
2: No. Oh, um, I forgot his first name. Robbie Keane.
0: Yeah, Robbie Keane's on there. Ooh.
2: Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> I wrote this down. And I'm so embarrassed to say it because I know it's <laughs> totally wrong. So I'm, I'm actually I'm actually not going to say it. No, go on. You said I yeah. No, it's alright. Some... Nah, you gotta say <laughs> it now. <laughs> I I I said Adibayor.
3: Nope. No, that yeah, wasn't too I, bad, I, I, though. Nah.
2: Yeah, I thought nah, okay. yeah, it would be a lot worse. No, it, yeah, I just knew, I, I knew Ian made it to 100 goals, so that's why.
3: I've got Henri, Drogba, Robbie Keane, Van Persie. Yep. Yep, yep Good I chance. got him down as one. Suppose you didn't get him, Cal. Uh, I know, traitor. what <laughs> He's forgotten <laughs> him. He's wiped him from the brain. <laughs> um, then <laughs> I've got... Obviously, this is, this is not Aguero included, right? Otherwise, yeah. that's a given. Um, yeah. Torres? No, no, no Torres. Torres. No. Um, Suarez? No. Um, Giroud? No. <laughs> okay, I'll give you two more. Tevez? <laughs> no. Oh, and obviously not Jack or Chikorito then. No. Um, no. Well, uh, uh, okay. <laughs>
2: Before before you say them, can I have one more guess after Johan's obviously said his. Right, his... Go
0: on, N.
1: So I, like everyone else, went Drogba, Van Percy, Henri, Dwight York, Lukaku, and Anelka.
0: Lukaku and Anelka, yeah, both good shouts. Well done.
1: Well done, yeah,
2: good shouts. Was that, was that well, everyone?
0: Yeah, go on, Cal. Who was the one that you were thinking of?
2: Van Nistelrooy?
0: No, oh, he's not on there. No.
2: Oh, really? No. Okay. No. Okay. I you find that surprising. Mind. I, I bet I bet there's a load from the ni- like nineties and early mm, early 40s the- that I we just can't
1: think of.
0: Joe Linton? And somebody who Oh
1: I know I know Adele, I know one. Hasselbank.
0: Yeah, Hasselbank. Uh Good joke. Of course. I knew Val- it. No. Um, Foul think- <laughs> No. No <laughs> I'm just I'm just naming players. <laughs> but somebody you've all missed out, guys, and bearing in mind this is non English players. You've all missed out on the all time Premier League appearance maker, Ryan Giggs.
2: Oh, oh. oh you Welshman,
3: you idiots.
2: Yeah, my, my mind oh. went to bail Ramsey and then it went, no one else mm. has ever been good. Yeah, for I Wales think Ramsey's got
3: 99, so you're quite close.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but what about Mark Hughes? What about Mark Hughes?
0: No, no, no Mark Hughes. Not even Premier League. But I'll go through the nine now. So obviously, Sergio Aguero would be on this list, but obviously it was nine other non-English players. So it's Thierry Henry, Robin Van Persie, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Robbie Keane, Nicolas Anelka, Dwight York, Romelu Lukaku, Ryan Giggs and Didier Drogba. What did you get, Luke? How many marks did you get? Four. So you've got four, Yos. How many did you get? You got five years was it
2: i got five i think yeah yeah I, think I got five and Cal, how many did you yeah. get i i had
3: four as well
0: four so yo's you've won and i think guys you've all got one win each haven't you in the three quizzes so you know no
3: way has kyle won a quiz yeah
0: <laughs> 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 but, you know it shows how your knowledge is different in these different areas which mm. is uh quite interesting
1: well technically i did get six so i got hassle bank just 10 seconds
0: later Well, you went anyway yo, so it doesn't really matter oh yeah you know. uh, <laughs> So we'll go now, guys, to your matches to look out for over the next week. So in the Champions League this week, we've got Manchester City against Dortmund, Liverpool against Real Madrid, Chelsea against Porto and Bayern against PSG. In the Premier League, we've got Leicester against Manchester City, Arsenal against Liverpool. In the Bundesliga, some huge matches. Borussia Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt. Frankfurt, at the moment, are in fourth place on 47 points. Dortmund are in fifth on 43 points, so a huge game there for Dortmund if they want to get Champions League football. And then a top of the table clash as well: Bayern Munich against RB Leipzig, and there's a four-point margin between those teams at the moment. So again, if Bayern Munich win that, it's going to be some huge ground to make up for Leipzig. In La Liga, Sevilla against Atletico Madrid. Syria, huge match for Juventus in their chase for Champions League football against their rivals, Torino, and then finally, top-of-the-table clash between PSG and Lille, both on 63 points. So huge top-of-the-table clash there. What have you gone for, Luke, as your game to look out for?
3: Well, I can't um, brush past it, um... In length, So I will quickly say that I can't wait for Bayern PSG. I'm absolutely gutted as a neutral that Robert Lewandowski is going to miss that game. I really, really seriously am because that would have been explosive. And I think that maybe will play into the hands of PSG, you have to say. So I can't wait to see that, how Bayern adapts. But I know that's going to come up probably next week as well. In the Premier League, I'm really looking forward to Leicester Man City uh, because of the obvious reason... They're both very good at football. And it should be very interesting to see who comes out on top. Man City will have obviously had more players going out on international duty, although Leicester will have had a lot. And I'll be really intrigued to see who comes back fresh, fit, ready for the run-in. Man City will win it any week now if they come back with a bang. So I'll be intrigued to see if Leicester can cause an upset at the King Power.
0: Yves, what have you gone for as your match to look out for?
3: OK, so the game that intrigued me
1: mostly was the Premier League fixture being Arsenal versus Liverpool. Because I think it's genuinely the last, like, real-time Liverpool have to kind of revitalise themselves and increase the chance of getting top four. You know, based, obviously, on their various form, it's pretty, it's pretty unpredictable. We don't know which Liverpool team's going to turn up. So, again, I'm expecting a real competitive, highly um, pulsating game. So I'm going to go Arsenal versus Liverpool.
0: And finally, Cal, your match to look out for over the next week?
2: I've also gone for Liverpool, but against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Uh, I think it's going to be a, an amazing game to watch. I really can't predict what's going to happen. Uh, I can see both sides winning. I can see loads of players on that pitch having individual moments of brilliance. Um, who the, the battle between Salah and Ramos, uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch.
0: Yeah, those Champions League... Quarter-final games, they really stand out, don't they? You mentioned Liverpool against Real Madrid. That's almost anybody's guess, isn't it, in that game? What will occur? You think of Liverpool's high line against Real Madrid. They've been playing a 5-3-2 recently with Benzema and Vinicius. It'll be interesting to see if those guys can exploit the space in behind, isn't it, that Liverpool allow for the opposition? You mentioned Bayern Munich against PSG. Again, Bayern Munich are going to play a high line, you think, Mbappe. His pace could really come to effect in that situation, without Lewandowski as well, Bayern Munich may not be so effective at taking their chances. But that's all we've got time for this week on the Football Overview. Thanks to Luke. Thanks Jose. Thanks Cal. See you then. Friday evening. See you again next week.
3: Uh, welcome back after the break. <laughs> uh... That's right. Um, I, I saw like this segment on the one show yesterday. Um, guess what it was about it was about the origins of the handshake was it was it interesting um nah (laughs)